0: When you're building a culture of belonging, every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power, and at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value driven work for everyone. This is Including
1: You, the new series from Lead at Any Level including you features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace we want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone including you and now here's your host amy c wanninger
2: Welcome back to Including You. I'm Amy C. Wanninger, the host of the show and the founder and CEO of Lead at Any Level. My guest today is Shakima Jackson-Martinez. Shakima is the diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate who specializes in inclusive talent acquisition, foundational DEI practices, and building organizational empathy through internal research. She's currently the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Answer Lab, a leading user experience consultancy that employs about 300 people across the United States. Shakima, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much, Amy, for having me.
2: I'm so happy to have you because your path to DEI was a little bit different from what I've seen with a lot of my guests. You weren't hired from the outside and you actually were promoted from within the ranks and then specialized, moved to specialize in DEI. Can you tell us a little bit about just your journey within AnswerLab? Most definitely.
3: So I started off in AnswerLab in our research operations department. As you mentioned, AnswerLab is a UX research consultancy. So we work with some of the world's top brands to make sure that they are improving upon their digital experience. So I started off in research ops as a project manager, just there basically arranging from start to finish all of our research studies. And I have a background in HR. So I worked in HR before I joined AnswerLab and was just really like passionate about people and really wanted to get back to that function of the business. but at the time, Answer Lab was fairly small. We were about 40 people when I joined. And so we didn't have the infrastructure for an HR team and department. But as we grew, that, of course, that developed. And an opportunity presented itself to join the people and culture team, which is our HR function at Answer Lab. And I jumped on that opportunity. And so I joined people and culture at the beginning of 20, right before right before the pandemic started, right before all of the social uprising started. And what happened is we saw a need around June when things were getting really tense. There was a need, right, internally for we needed messaging, right? How are we going to talk to our people about what's going on, about the protests, about everything that's now top of mind? It's on our TV screens and we're, we're watching the news every day and we're seeing all of this unfold. And uh, just started there. I started with what the messaging should be. I worked really closely with our CEO from the very beginning. And and that's when we both decided, we we need a really strong focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We had done some things, we had done some trainings, we had brought in an outside consultancy to help us with DEI, but we knew that we needed like a consistent presence and we needed to really pay attention to it. And so then my role shifted. (laughs) It shifted almost instantly to being AnswerLabs' first diversity, equity, and inclusion manager. And then a year later, I was then moved into my director role, which I sit in now. So yes, I do not have the conventional DEI background. I just, uh, it was a person who came with a lot of passion around it and saw the needs in the organization and really wanted to fill that gap.
2: I love that you started with this need to communicate. Like we have to say Something. And then expanding from there into, because the company isn't huge and it wasn't huge at the time. So then expanding that need to communicate with our own employees, the need to show where we stand yeah. on some really pressing issues and show that we have our employees back. And then that led to a broader initiative. What's the, why invest as a company with about 300 people and growing, but not Always having 300 people. Why invest as a small company in this work? Why is that so important to Answer Lab?
3: Oh, definitely. So, at the core of Answer Lab, we are a human centered company. And as I mentioned, we work with some of the biggest brands the Googles, the Metas, the Amazons, all of that. We work with those companies on these digital products and experiences that are touching millions and billions of people. So we have to get it right internally, (laughs) right? Our focus has to be internal on how do we create an inclusive space? How do we create an environment where everyone here feels welcome and equal. And like they can show up to work and be exactly who they are. And in creating that, we can only then push that message forward out to our clients. And then they take that message and our researchers go and do amazing research and they carry that forward. It became, it was really important for us to get this right. Being a human centric company and being a company that really wants to focus on equality and equity in this space. We just knew we had to do something. I have been extremely lucky to have a CEO who's been who's very passionate about DEI and who immediately saw the need and responded to that, right? Who saw, hey, maybe we need training. Maybe we need upskilling. Maybe we need to learn more about unconscious bias. Maybe we need to have these difficult conversations within this organization so that our people are more aware, right? So they're just better citizens moving forward. And out of that, out of just her sheer determination to, to just teach us more and have us learn more, where all of these initiatives springboard from. And so we started with communication and that immediately then turned out to, okay, What internally do we need to fix? And that moved into training. So we did a lot of training in 2020. We had a lot of tough conversations (laughs) that year. We did, we had a consultancy come in and do our unconscious bias training and our allyship training. But then we also needed to do some listening sessions with our employees and some allyship sessions where people were just able to come and be very candid about their awareness of these social issues that were going on or lack of awareness. And how can I be a better ally to people of color during this extremely difficult time. And so there were so many conversations that took place that year that were pivotal for Answer Lab. And then after that, we moved into the, what the day-to-day looks like here. One of the functions that I'm responsible for, talent acquisition actually sits under my function, which is a little bit unconventional, right? Because usually talent acquisition is, that's recruitment, that sits with HR, but talent acquisition sits with DEI. And that is so that we can pay attention to who we are recruiting within the organization. So that was our biggest initiative, right? After we got that communication piece down and that training down, the next thing that we wanted to tackle was talent acquisition and who we're welcoming to the organization.
2: I love what you said about we're a human-centered organization because there's so much focus on user experience, customer experience, employee experience in the broad economy. People talk about this kind of stuff all the time, but recognizing that experience is not the same for every customer, for every user, for every employee is so important. And I think people tend to, we default in this country, in our society, we default to what a lot of people would term neutral, right? With the dominant culture terms, neutral, right? Men don't have gender, white people don't have race, those kinds of assumptions that they're coming from a neutral place, but that's not the case. There's no such thing as neutrality when you're dealing with people, because we all come with a set of experiences. We all come with a set of biases. We all come with identities and values that are all wrapped up in mm-hmm. who we are how we experience the world. And so I love that you turned what you do as a company inward yeah. to say, hey, there are human factors going on in our workplace and we need to address those.
3: Most yes, definitely. Most definitely. So we're a service organization being a consultancy, but we are extremely tech adjacent. All of our researchers, everyone there, this is tech at, at its core. And Traditionally tech is a predominantly white field. And so we have to be honest about that and and be open to having that conversation. And so that's what we had to do internally, right? When you look around and you're like, okay, we are, as it stands, we have diversity, but we are still a predominantly white organization. And what is it that we need to do to ensure that We are building upon our diversity, that we are opening doors and creating opportunities for people who don't have that traditional tech background or that traditional expectations of someone in tech, which you said is probably male, most likely white and so on. And so, yeah, we had to look at this from that human centered place and determine where our own gaps are and then use those turn those gaps into strengths. And then push that message forward to our clients. And we've been wildly successful and able to do that. And our clients have been receptive, which has been great.
2: You mentioned that you're focused right now on talent acquisition and how do you change the narrative and the metrics and the accountability around acquiring talent? Can you talk a little bit about how you're measuring success in that area and what, what has worked well? Most definitely. So uh, it started
3: with training, right? Because you think you have to look at your hiring teams. Who are the people that are responsible for giving the jobs? And so we initially started with a lot of assessment around who are the people that are applying for our roles and where are they falling off? in the process and what can we do to improve upon it? So we did a first round training with our managers, anyone who's involved in the hiring practice around inclusive hiring best practices. That was number one, that was very base level. And then after that, we really started to take a look at what the hiring process looks like for everyone and then ensuring that everyone is going through the same exact flow. And then after that, also making sure that we are, recruiting or at least trying to recruit and do outreach within groups that have this diversity that we're looking for. It's very easy to just put your job posting up and expect that people are going to apply to it. And all of those people are going to be this amazing plethora of diverse individuals. And that doesn't happen. So we had to go out and do what I call guerrilla recruiting, which is let's find the groups for UX professionals who happen to be BIPOC. Where are those groups? And then let's connect with those. Let's connect with those members. And we did a lot of that. And so That honestly, between that outreach and now looking at the recruiting process in a different way, really helped us get this amazing influx of talent at Answer Lab. And how we track the success is we go back and we look at our analytics, right? We have dashboard analytics, people can self-identify. We go back and we look at those analytics and we say, okay, how many people in specific demographics are applying to our roles? How many people have expressed interest? How many people are getting through the interview process? Where are they falling off in the interview process? So that's been some of the ways that we've been able to keep a pulse and consistently we do this on a monthly basis to keep a pulse on what our, our talent pools look like. And then more so internally, we had to set, we basically set a, I don't want to say a quota, but it's similar to the Rooney rule, right? Of you're making sure that you have a certain amount of people who identify as such in your final interview panel. And I won't close a role until we have that. We have to make sure that we are interviewing all types of people, and I think that that's really important as well. And so, setting those quotas, monitoring them, going back and having these open conversations with our hiring managers and teams, and monitoring those analytics have been like the biggest ways that we've been able to really affect change.
2: You said a couple of things I want to touch on. The first is going different places to find different talent. Yes, I do a lot of training around hiring. I have a program called Hire Beyond Bias, and I always tell people, if you always fish in the same pond, you're always going to catch the same kind of fish. If you want Alaskan salmon, you have to go to Alaska to fish. That's where you find Alaskan salmon. You don't find it in the retention pond in your neighborhood in Ohio. And Mm -hmm. you have to cast out your lines where the fish are that you want to find. And I think people think, well, just put it on the internet because everybody has the internet and it's not enough because people want to know not just that they can apply, but that you want them to apply. Exactly. Exactly
3: yeah and it's a very it's a very strategic as you probably know it's a very strategic process because As you said, it's easy to throw up a job position and just expect that people are going to apply to it. But there's so many subsets and so many groups that have no idea that this company exists, especially since we are a a smaller business. And so we had to get really strategic about forming these partnerships with certain groups that's geared towards Black UX researchers or Hispanic UX researchers. We had to be very intentional and specific about where we put our time because we wanted to consciously build this team.
2: Yeah. And I think this monthly focus on analytics is really important as well, because in any business, no matter how small or how big, you can't manage anything if you can't measure it. Yes. And there's no accountability if there are no metrics. And so having that detail about this many people applied, this is the percentage that Mm -hmm. were representative of that were Black. This is the percentage that were women. This is the percentage that were disabled or LGBTQ or Hispanic. And then, okay, then how many fell off at the resume review stage? Okay, if we know that we lost 90% of our historically underrepresented talent or historically excluded talent at that phase, what it, what's happening at that phase? Exactly. It's causing the drop-off. And now you can go fix each problem as you find it. Exactly. As opposed to some companies have done, say, it's a pipeline problem. There's just no talent out there. Nothing we can do. I see you rolling your eyes. You want to talk about that? Yes, please.
3: <laughs> I am the pipeline problem myth. It's it kind of gives me some anxiety because there is technically there is no pipeline problem, right? There are people who are out there who are job seeking, and they just may not know that you exist. And it is in your responsibility as any recruiter or talent acquisition, excuse me, talent acquisition person worth their salt, to go out and find the talent that you are looking for. So that that kind of every time someone mentions the pipeline problem, glaze over and and have this response, but you have to do the work, right? It's like, you have to do the work. I started off, it's, it's funny, when I started off and was doing, I was in my DEI function, but I was our sole talent acquisition person for quite a while before we brought in another team member to assist. And so... When I was doing this by myself, it's okay, this is a lot, but I know I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to make these connections. And then now I'm lucky enough, thankfully enough to have a team that, that feels, and they understand what I have established and what, you know, where we're going when it comes to talent acquisition. And they're able to now go, go out and make these connections, but it is so important to fish outside of the normal. I see so many people that are like, oh, LinkedIn, like LinkedIn is gold and it's amazing. But if you are sourcing on LinkedIn, you've got to be intentional about that. And you've got to be able to put in the time. There are, you're coming up with thousands of profiles. And I have sat for hours upon hours, scrolling profiles and emailing people to gain interest, but it's something that you have to be willing to do, right? If you're really intentional about diversity and making sure that you put that role out there and more people in different demographics know that it
2: exists. Absolutely. And I'm going to go a step further and say, it's not enough to to invite people to where you are. You have to go where people are to show that you are actually committed to them. And so when you talk about engaging user groups or engaging small pockets of professionals that had already gathered together, right? Then you're talking about showing up for people in an authentic way, in a genuine way, in a generous way, and then they already know you and trust you, and you've given them a compelling reason then to want to apply. Because it's not just does the talent exist, it's does the talent exist and do they want to work with us? And you're on mute, Shakima.
3: Oh, sorry about that, Amy. That's okay. You're absolutely right. So one of the things that we have uh, actually a few of the things that we've done at Answer Lab is we make it very clear what our stance is on inclusivity and diversity and what and, and equity and all of that. We make it very clear up front. If people visit our careers page, they will know right what our stance is. In addition to that, one of the great things that came out of 2020 for us was that we decided to conduct this body of research, fully Answer Lab sponsored research around some of the issues that were affecting people at the time. So race and remote and remote corporate culture, right? How are people of color feeling now that we've transitioned fully to remote work and those pressures that they may have felt to code switch or to behave in, or act in a different way at work, how are they feeling now that you don't have to do that because you're at home? Then we did another study around parents and now the responsibilities that all parents and caretakers are facing, right? In the pandemic, when your home and your kids and everything is in the same space, how are you navigating this? I would say that was a really influential body of research. We did it. And then we put all of our findings out, right? On Answer Lab's website, on LinkedIn, we publicized it extremely well. And that brought in so much, so many candidates who were just interested in working with us because we felt the need to have that conversation. We were bold enough to go to that point of saying, hey, if you're a person of color, You could have been experiencing things within the workplace in an in-person setting that didn't feel good. And now that you are working remotely, that may have shifted. How did that shift? Tell us about it. And then we did recommendations, right, for companies to utilize to make sure that their employees are feeling good about where they're working and about their remote status now. We questioned professionalism and we questioned things of like the crown act, hair, and things that people just probably don't even think about on a conscious basis, but that people of color have to navigate and deal with every day in a work setting. And so just Putting those things out there into the world attracted so many amazing people to Answer Lab because they started to feel like, wow, this is a company that's having a conversation. This is a company that's like really serious about their goals and their commitment to DEI. And we've just been transparent. We've been incredibly just transparent about where we are, about what our successes are, about where we need to improve. And that has helped us build this reputation in the industry of a company that's basically walking the
2: talk. It's so important because if you want people to see you as a viable option for their career, they need to know that you see them first and that they have a shot because a lot of times if you don't see them, they don't feel like, you know, maybe they can come and get a paycheck and maybe they can come and do some good work, but they'll never be recognized. They'll never be promoted. They'll never be appreciated. And by showing that appreciation from the outset, I think you're creating something that's very compelling for people who have felt left out for a long time. And I want to thank you for that.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I have to think about one of the most like I think heartfelt compliments that I ever got was two years ago we did we do, we celebrate pride every year at Answer Lab. Myself being a woman of color, being a queer person, I decided to do a just a simple basic quote right around around pride and around why i'm happy to work at a workplace that that recognizes that the lgbtqia community and we utilize that in some like on a linkedin post that we wrote about pride And I had someone a a whole year and a half later who started at Answer Lab, who was now part of the company. And we were on a meeting and she goes, I just want you to know that one of the reasons that I applied to Answer Lab is because I saw the post about pride and about how happy you were to work at a company that is so inclusive of LGBTQIA people. And I said, are you serious? <laughs> I didn't think, I just thought that was something that was just so flippant. It was something I just did because I was like, I'm happy that me put that out there, but not realizing at the moment, the impact that someone who feels unseen, right? In, the, or in their everyday life or in their organization, that could have on them. And then that inspires them to kind of want to come and work with this company that would make them feel included and make them feel seen. So it is such a, I feel like it's such a responsibility that we have as DEI professionals to, to just do the work, but then to also create this visibility and show people that there's a way and show people that they are wanted and needed and necessary. And yeah, I just, I consistently strive to do that in this role.
2: Atima, thank you so much for sharing with us today, for seeing people the way you do and for letting them know that they're valued and that they matter in your company and just broadly in the world. I appreciate you. And I want to thank you for being on the show.
3: Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate audio podcast series available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level, LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You.
2: That's it for this week's episode of Including You. My name is Amy Waninger, I hope to see you next week when my guest will be Angela Alston from the Ohio State University College of Nursing.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Over 90% of graduating medical students join Doximity to use our tools before earning their doctoral degree. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you are going to learn more about Doximity. Make sure you go to your app store, type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y.